Welcome to the Compass Church Podcast with Pastor Tim Jacobs, a ministry of Compass Church with your Arizona. Join us now as we look into God's Word to be challenged and changed. I'm not going to spend any energy responding to that. Um, great to be with you. Great to be with you. Uh, your worship, I've had a couple experiences now, a couple services of being under the worship. I, I have to tell you, I've known Gabe two or three years and I've come to love him as a gifted leader, a servant. I didn't know he sang. I did not know Gabe sang. Can you believe that? Um, that was cool. I mean, I really got blessed there. I've also gotten a great new idea for some weight loss and it's to take up the bass guitar. Uh, <laughs> I'm not sure one follows the other, but it's probably worth a try uh, to, to do that. No, it's, it's a special gift for me to be here. Uh, symbolically, um, kind of sandwiched in this week being the week that Kent and Danielle take off officially uh, as your launched church plant to Bakersfield. And this is really the first week on campus with two new couples. You'll be meeting them next week, Steve and Leslie Liebitz, and of course, Joseph and Leah Brock. Uh, Dee Dee, my wife and I have known Joseph and Leah uh, since we met them. They were pastoring a small church to Navajos, uh, some 30 miles south of Gallup little village called Chichilta. So we've known them for several years and followed their journey. And it's, uh, it's just really exciting to see how God is now using that. So I wanna spend just a couple minutes saying something you already know. Uh, first of all, Tim Jacobs and his wife Judy are a gift to you uh, and they're a gift to me. They, they, I'm not just saying this to be patronizing. They are unique among people. Uh, Tim works for me part-time. I'm learning that he works for lots of other people. Uh, he is a high-capacity leader that, that does a lot of things incredibly well. And, and one of the most frequent conversations we have is, are you spread too thin? <laughs> How are you doing all this so well? But I'll tell you what it translates into, and I don't know that you fully realize this, that what you, what you have become as a congregation so committed to spinning off other churches. That comes at a great cost. Uh, it, it keeps you on an incredibly tight budget. Uh, it keeps the turnover of leaders moving throughout the course of your church life. And it's hard. Uh, it creates hardships that a lot of other churches don't enjoy uh, or experience. But I, I want you to know that on, on our level of leadership seeing this happen, if we had about 30 more churches, like Compass, uh, we would be rocking the world uh, in ways that nobody could deny. But as it is, it's, it's a well-kept secret. Thank you for sharing, Tim and Judy, for sharing the resources that you do and sending people out. And, and Tim gave me complete liberty to speak about whatever I wanted to this morning. And what, what you haven't heard yet is that uh, I'm retiring from this position after 30 years uh, in just a few months. Uh, Dee Dee and I planted a church in Orange County, led that for 12 years, and it's now been 30 years uh, that I've been overseeing these churches. <clears throat> I'm, I'm ready to do a lot more, but I'm, I'm ready to hand over the visionary leadership to this. So I thought, you know, I'm not gonna preach a sermon that I bought from sermons.com. Uh, <clears throat> I decided I'm just gonna reflect a little bit to you uh, on what this thing called a church is. And I hope that what I have to say is encouraging to you as members of this church. Uh, if you're a first timer that wandered in off the street, I hope that what I have to say is instructive for you uh, as you seek to orient your life and make it healthy. And I hope it's instructive for the couples that are going out uh, to plant churches. So I'm gonna share some thoughts with you about what the church is. 
uh, and why it's important, why it's a bigger headline and should be a bigger headline than climate change or tariffs. Uh, because it really has the potential of, of impacting people for eternity. So the, f the first thing I want to do to get us started is to point out something that's kind of odd about the human brain. And you know this. Uh, you know that there are things sitting in the middle of your floor somewhere that you've forgotten were there. And you've learned to step over them because you don't see them anymore. Our brain locks in on things, sometimes healthy things, sometimes unhealthy things. And this is a corny example, but I want to bring a slide up of, of perhaps one of the best examples of this that I know. You recognize what this is. Uh, you see it several times a day. And I want to use it as an example of how sometimes we make assumptions about what we see uh, and we don't really think about it. I could give hundreds of these, but this is a, a favorite of mine. I'm just kind of curious, a uh, personal survey, please be honest, and I, I need to see your hands here. How many of you uh, have never seen the white arrow between the E and the X? Come on, be honest. Okay, well over half of you have never seen the white arrow between the E and the X. Okay, it's symbolic. It's always been there. You've just never seen it before. Now, I've, I've, I've messed you up now because every time, every time you see a truck, an envelope, an airplane, or whatever, you're gonna say to the person next to you, do you see the arrow? Uh, <laughs> I'm gonna to try to remember to bring that slide back up. You can turn it off now, but I'm gonna to try to remember to bring it back up at the end because it has a great deal of symbolism to what I wanna to say to you about the church. I just want you to, to tuck away that thought that we often learn to look at things, uh, we think of things, and we, we kinda of lock in on what we know about those things or what our perception of those things would be. And I wanna suggest that the church uh, is one of those things that I think we periodically need to revisit uh, really what it is. Now, in your notes, uh, the best I was able to give them was my title. So you have lots of room to write down the four uh, suggestions I wanna make or the four observations I wanna make about the church. And here's the first one, and I think it's the most important. When I think about the church uh, and my study of scripture, my experience through the years, I think it's critical that we know that the church was God's idea God created it, it wasn't the, the, the concoction of a bunch of people sitting around thinking, what are we gonna call this gathering of people who have a similar interest? This was God's idea, uh, and he created it to be all about the person of Jesus Christ. That is its purpose. And it was not the idea of a man, it was the idea of God himself. Now, what I just said may sound blatantly obvious to most of you, in the room. But as I reflected on what I've seen happen through the three decades of doing this, I thought it was worthy of lifting it up again and saying it again. And here's why I say that. There is a constant, constant, unrelenting pull in our culture for the church to make it about anything but Jesus. Okay, it's subtle in many cases. In some cases it's flagrant. But one of the prices we pay in a country that has such freedoms in it, where we have the freedom politically uh, to, to worship as we want, where we have the freedom um, financially, uh, to, in a capitalistic society, we have the freedom to make church, this thing called church, whatever we, we really want it to be. And, and because there is a constant cultural pull away from the focus on Jesus, it very subtly becomes things other than Jesus. Uh, most churches keep him in the picture, 
Uh, he's in the mix, but it just so easily becomes about something else. Uh, my adult children um, are both fortunately following God. Uh, they're both in their uh, respective marriages involved in churches. They've been involved in helping start churches since they were born into a family that was doing that. They were just with us on vacation, um, our daughter and her husband and three grandkids and two dogs. Uh, and it was really cool to have them there. And it was even cooler to have them leave. Uh, wow, was, <laughs> wow, has this been a busy uh, two weeks. Uh, but one night they just openly shared with us. They said, you know, we don't wanna be complainers, but we're really concerned about a trend that we see happening in our church. And, she, and they said, we've addressed the leaders about it and we're just concerned. It, it's, it's a good church, it's grown rapidly, it's got one of those incredibly gifted preaching pastors that's got a personality bigger than life. And she said, it just seems like it's all, all, of, a, all of a sudden become about the production and the marketing. I mean, she said every week there's a new bracelet, a coffee cup, a t-shirt, a hat, a, a, a pair of shoes, a whatever. And, and I know they mean well, it's trying to help us learn, but it just feels like the center has slipped. And I'm able to say that's predictable. That's just incredibly predictable. And, and every church has its own version of, of slipping off of center. And I, I could just beat this drum all day long, but I wanna say we've gotta be committed to continually bringing it back to what God intended church to be about, which is the person of Jesus. So I wanna take you to a couple scriptures, and I wanna just make the assumption that there are people in this room that might have stumbled into this place for the very first time. Uh, you, you don't know much about the Bible, if anything, so I wanna be, be just very uh, cautious in how I refer to things, but I think it's worth having you turn to the book called Ephesians. This is in the New Testament, which is way over in the right-hand side, or if you've got a digital device, it gets especially easy. Both have tables of contents. God put that there for a reason. Uh, so feel free to look up this book called Ephesians. Um, it's, a, it's a letter that a man named Paul wrote to the, one of the first churches uh, in the world uh, that were about Jesus to give them some advice. So I want to take you to that book and then if you can go to the fifth chapter and then if you get there go to a section that's about uh, marriage starting in verse 21. Now I have used this this section of the scriptures to, to preach at weddings, to perform weddings for many, many years. Uh, I call this section the handbook on marriage. But, but really what this section of verses is, is really about is the church and the reason it exists and what, what its relationship to Jesus is. So I wanna jump right on down to verse 25. I mentioned verse 21 because it starts the section by saying that a husband and a wife should be mutually submissive to one another. A healthy marriage will require that there be a mutual submission to one another in order to make the marriage all that it can be. We'll come back to a reference to that later, but I want you to go down to verse 25 and notice where it says this. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. And then jump down to the end of the section, verse 32, where he says, this mystery is profound. And I'm saying that it refers to, the, to Christ and the church. Anybody married knows that mystery defines marriage. It's, it's a mystery. 
But one of the reasons it is mysterious is that God created marriage as an institution as well to give us an earthly expression of a heavenly reality. And, and that's the reality I want you to think about for a minute. God created this thing called the church to be the bride of Jesus. He describes himself as the husband to the church. So let me define the church. When we, when we use the word church, we usually use it in two contexts. This context typically refers to what I would call the broader church or the church universal. And when we say church, what we usually mean is that community of human beings who have chosen to acknowledge Jesus Christ of Nazareth, the, the Son of Man, the Son of God, to be the, the proclaimed Messiah, the one who says he purchased our sins by dying on a cross, rising from the dead, and ascending into heaven. That person, Jesus, is the husband of this community that we call the church, and, and we, the church, are those people who have chosen to make him our Lord. We've devoted our lives to him. And so he says, uh, think of me as your husband committed to making you all that you can be. So that's the church universal, and it's, a, it's kind of a broad notion, but it, it's a clear definition when it comes to scripture. Now, that, that doesn't translate into anything practical for most of us. So historically, there's a more specific use of the word church, uh, which would be a, gra a gathering of, of followers of Jesus in a local area. Uh, those who were in the first service this morning, those of you in this room. And I think it would be fair to say that there is a, a, a broader group of between 500 and 1,000 people that are the subset of the church that we call Compass Church. Now, it's obvious, a building often gets confused by people as being a church. It's one of the most predictable things that a culture does. It defines a church by a location. And I hope you can see clearly that, that when we talk about church, it's not a building. A building is simply a place where a subset of the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, comes together to share in our common belief in him. So let's just leave it at that for right now. And I want to repeat what I said. This was all God's idea. A church is never supposed to become anything other than a centralized focus of, on Jesus by those who have yielded to him uh, as their Lord, or who are seeking him, or who are wanting to know more about him. That is this group called the church. For the benefit of those who are going out to plant a church, I thought it would be helpful to just real quickly rattle off uh, five characteristics that have kind of historically become descriptive of a church. When we say, what is a church? Is it, is it when two teenagers sit by a pond singing hymns together or whatever, or choruses? Um, not necessarily. Uh, historically, what we've come to define a church to be, it's a gathering of people who believe in Jesus who do at least five things. Uh, one of the things that they do is they center their, their, their relationship around scripture because that is where we study uh, and learn about and hear from God. A second thing that they do is that they worship this Lord Jesus who is the center of their reason for being. A third thing that a church does is that it somehow elects or appoints recognized spiritual overseers or leaders. And we'll talk about that in a moment. A fourth thing that a church does is observe the uh, sacraments. And that differs church to church, but we typically say that at least involves taking of communion and baptizing new believers. That's, that's, all, that's all I'll say about that. 
And then fifthly, we say a church typically has some kind of a covenantal relationship between members. In other words, it simply says you can't just show up like at a health club. Um, This requires that we come together and commit to one another where we say, I've got your back, you've got my back, we're in this together, we're gonna mutually sacrifice, we're gonna mutually support and be part of this community. I just offer that up uh, because in all these years of leading churches, I I assure you, 200 churches, many have come and gone, uh, no two were ever alike. Uh, Churches are big, they're little, they're urban, they're rural. They're, They're wealthy, they're poor. Um, they're as different as your imagination can make it be, and they're all what I would call a biblical church. But it has to be centered on Jesus. Let's move to the second one that I think is critical for us to understand uh, what this thing is that we're doing. Second, I would say this. God designed the church to be organized and orderly with clear lines of mutual accountability. Now, I chose those words carefully. Uh, just in case you're writing that down, let me, let me say it again. I hope you get the concept even if you don't write it down. God designed the church to be organized and orderly with clear lines of mutual accountability. Um, there are trends in culture. Um, my kids are just a little too old to be millennials, um, but they have a bunch of millennial friends, so we have fun talking about stereotypical behavior of these age groups. One of the trends that I see right now in young church leaders, young church planters, and I'm not speaking of the two that that we're talking about here or the three, counting Kent and Danielle, uh, it's a very independent spirit. You know, it's kind of an attitude of the older folks screwed this up and we're not gonna do that, we're gonna make sure we do it right. And there is a trend out there right now that's running rampant of independent churches. And I'm not saying they don't do their job well. I'm just saying that they are violating what I think is one of the the fundamental requirements of what God intended a church to be. And that has to do with accountability in both directions by everybody. Um, In the passage about marriage, notice I said it began by the the overstatement, a a husband and a wife must both be mutually submissive to one another. Well, guess what? The the church is simply an extension of that and an expression of that. Um, In my office area in Escondido, California, last week I was leaving the office complex and I saw this young woman who I've known for a few years. She and her husband um, are kind of typical of the 30-ish age group who, they both have a story to tell of being deeply wounded by the churches they grew up in. And and they have some very legitimate um, complaints about how they were treated and how some people they know were treated. So their way to fix this was to plant their own church. And they did that about three years ago. They have full-time jobs, but in their Bible time, they planted this this church. And uh, it's grown to a couple hundred people and it's moved all over the place just trying to find places to meet. And uh, she had heard that I was gonna be retiring, and so she said, I've been dying to ask you this question. Um, She said, we've run into some problems in our church. Uh, Well, guess what? I've I've never heard that before, uh, that this idealistic venture that we were on where we were gonna do things better than the people that did it before us did it. Uh, She said, we've run into some really, really serious problems and it's been hard for us to navigate all this. And she said, I know you're retiring, but uh, if you had one word of advice to to give my husband and I uh, before we don't see you, uh, what what would that be? And I thought, you know, I've been waiting two or three years to be asked that question. 
by them. And it's not, it's not really as profound as you might think, but it was simply this. Um, you need to be part of something bigger. You need to come in out of the cold. And I'm not gonna tell you who that should be, because there are hundreds of denominations, associations, networks, uh, but there needs to be something more orderly and structured where you have come into a healthy, reputed group of people who you could trust them to be overseers for you so that when you have times like this, you can submit yourself to their wisdom, to their exhortation, their discipline, whatever it might be that is needed, and I guarantee your church will be better in the long run for that. And she started crying and said, well, I hope we can talk more because I agree, and I think we really need your help in picking who a group would be that we could connect with. So I, I just put that up as a bit of context, and I want you to go with me to a book called the Book of Acts. It's the fifth book in the New Testament. It's really a historical record of the early uh, story of the church, and I want to camp for just a few minutes uh, in chapter 14 and 15 because of something so important that I think it says there. And, and, and this is one of the reasons I'm here. Tim invited me to come because I'm representative of a larger family of churches that Compass has been part of from your beginning. And I've been around long enough that I've been here in this building for a long time and even before it was a building, I've known Tim before he came from California to plant Mountain Vista Church over in Mesa. And, and we're part of a family of people that have interacted out of your site uh, during the, the, the days between Sundays uh, for many, many years. And, and there's a reason we have done that. In Acts chapter 14, uh, when I say God designed the church to be organized and orderly, I want you to notice in chapter 14, verse 23, if you can make your way there, uh, this is toward the end of what is often called the first missionary journey. In other words, two men, uh, Paul and Barnabas, were selected by the first real established Christian church in Antioch, which is over on the uh, eastern shore of the Mediterranean, and they were sent to plant churches. And uh, as they ended that tour of planting multiple churches, and it's not quite like we do, they would sometimes spend a month, sometimes two years in a, in a location. Uh, they would always start by going to a Jewish synagogue and proclaiming that the Jewish scriptures had been fulfilled in the person of Jesus. That would last usually about a month before they got kicked out. Uh, and then a few people would follow them to a separate location and then they would teach those people what a Christian church is and then they would leave. This verse says what they did each time they left, when Paul and Barnabas had appointed elders in every church, praying and fasting, they committed them to the Lord. In other words, they never left a group of people, I don't care if it was a 20-member house church or bigger, they never left it without designating a few individuals to be spiritual overseers. This translation used the word elders. Um, our churches today use differing words. Some churches call them deacons, trustees, uh, over shepherds. It really doesn't matter what the word is, but the biblical historic tradition is that God wants each local church to have designated people who are the spiritual overseers. Now you and I know that if a church is independent, if those leaders go south, <laughs> if they go maverick, and forgive me for being a little on the pessimistic side, but I've not yet met a human being that is entirely holy. 
every church I have ever worked with eventually has a problem even in its own leadership. Somebody who was for one season of their life reputed and trustworthy and mature, something happens. It's either biological, it's relational, it's chemical, something goes funky and they go sideways. If a church has no means of recourse in dealing with that internally, then they're in big trouble. Here's why Acts 15 is so important to me. If you look in Acts 15, the first three verses describe the first Christian church crisis that came along. It says, some men came down from Judea to Antioch. They were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Um, That's a powerful statement. It says, Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them. (laughs) That's another way of saying they, they almost got into a fist fight over this argument. Antioch was the first established Christian church and all of a sudden some people show up. And here's, if if you're new to this, please understand that for centuries, Jewish people had had taught and believed that there were certain things they had to do to be right with God. Uh, That included circumcising every male, it included multiple sacrifices through the course of the year. Um, And if you didn't do those, you just weren't right with God. And they're showing up now because the Christian church has now said, all the rules just changed. Uh, Jesus has fulfilled all the requirements of the law. Um, Human beings need only to put their trust in Jesus because they can never pay for their own sin. They don't have enough money or or good deeds to do that. And, And all they need to do to become a Christian is to trust him. Well, these Jewish people are showing up and now saying, that doesn't, that's not right. You have to add to the, to this message that they must keep doing what we've been doing for thousands of years. Now, please understand why this is important. If that argument had gone the other way, uh, we wouldn't be here today. We we wouldn't be in a church proclaiming salvation by believing in Jesus because he paid for the price of all of us on the cross. We wouldn't be here. So what did the first church do when it encountered a problem so big that it couldn't deal with it internally? The story tells us that they then sent these men, Paul and Barnabas, down to Jerusalem to a higher authority. They voluntarily submitted to what back then were the original apostles and disciples. It's handy to have had them still alive. (laughs) But the principle was set though, that no church, no church is always going to be able to deal with all of its issues itself. There must be some form of mutual accountability for every person in every church. And I just want to suggest to you that that's the second principle that we simply have to lay out there. And whether you call it denominationalism, associationalism, or fellowships, or networks, or whatever you want to call it, if your leaders are not submissive to somebody above them, then you're at great risk. And it's only a matter of time until the wheels come off somewhere. So that's what I've committed my last 30 years of of, of leadership to doing, and I would say that remains to be a critical adage. A third one that I would suggest is that God designed the church to be a collaborative effort, utilizing the many different people that he puts there. One of the common trends of of modern churches, as they get bigger, uh, and it's just a, a logistics economy of scale problem, it's easy to assume that somebody else is doing what has to be done. Now, in in the small churches, it's critical. When people are, we have a little church in Garden Grove, California, that's been around many, many years. It almost died three or four times, and 
and uh, there's like 35 people, and they just recently called a new pastor, and, and they've got a new breath of life in them. And you can imagine that when you're 25 or 30 strong, even when you're an older church, everybody's gotta be doing something. It's easy to forget that as the church starts getting bigger. Compass is getting to be a big church. Uh, I'm told you may have anywhere between 500 and 1,000 people on a given weekend here. That's big enough that it's really easy for you to view yourself as being unnecessary or unimportant. And I'm not suggesting that you're lazy or, or, or selfish or fearful. It's, it's kind of a natural byproduct of a crowd of people. But, but I wanna suggest that that's not the way God intended it. A um, Couple examples of this, you don't need to turn, I'll just read, for example. God says this in several places in the Bible. Uh, Romans 12 is as good as any. He says, as in one body, we all have many members. My body has fingers and hands and elbows and toes and all those things. The members do not all have the same function. So we though many are one body in Christ and individually members one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. I have come to believe more and more as time goes on that a church is like a living organism. Uh, I get to see this more than most people do. One of the fun things about reconnecting with Joseph and Leah, Brock, and you'll, you'll get to meet them in the coming weeks and months. Uh, we've known them a long time. They just had their first child uh, 12 weeks ago. And we hadn't seen little Ava. So last night we got here in time to have dinner together and, and the minute they walked up, we lost my wife. Uh, she just took Ava and was gone. Uh, we had a great meal between the three adults while Dee Dee got to know Ava in the parking lot. But the, the fun thing is, Every baby born reminds us of the, the miraculous creative power of God, and no two human beings have ever been created that are alike. Every person has unique gifts. Well, I've come to believe that every church is like a baby born, and God brings the people to it that he wants to be there. And scripture is very clear in saying that every human being has been given something by God that they need to share with others. I'm not here to tell you what that is. One of the hardest things for leaders to do is to find ways for you to exercise all your gifts. For every person to be involved in a way that is in line with what God intended for you to do. But I'm just admonishing you to do your part in helping the leaders seek out what that is because he intended Compass Church to be a, a, a well-balanced collaborative effort of all the people's present to contribute what God has given you to contribute. And that may be any, anywhere from personality to a smile to money to, to time to prayer support. I, I don't know what that is. It's just God does that. Now, one of the greatest temptations of church planters or pastors of small churches is to assume that they're missing something because they've only got 15 or 20 or 50 or 100 people. Uh, one of the rarest commodities out there are those unique people gifted by God to work with junior high students. Um, they're like rare minerals, you know, and every pastor prays for those people. But I, I'm here to say he's given you who you need. You have something that this group needs. You have some special skill, passion, talent, focus that, that this thing called Compass Church needs to be working at its best. And when you hold that back, they suffer. When you have a problem, they have a problem. We, we had our, our kids with us this past week, and uh, three grandkids, seven, four, and two, and it's really cool when they leave, too. You know, it's great that they're with you. 
They had two dogs as well. So three kids, two dogs, two adults, and a lot, a lot of chaos. Um, one day, they went camping overnight near our house, and they had a campfire, and they slept in their sleeping bags, and then the next morning, they got up, and they started the fire back up, because it was actually cold. Um, and uh, right after breakfast, the four-year-old tripped and stepped into the fire. It turns out it was a second-degree burn. We first thought it was a third-degree, and on just one foot. But, but life stopped. When one member of the body suffers, you know what, how that plays out. When those little toes got burned, it changed not just her life, including visits to the burn ward at UCSD and all sorts of stuff. Uh, it changed all of our lives. When one tiny member of the body suffers, the whole body is affected. And, and he wants you to acknowledge that even the deficit seasons are, are there for a purpose. So. Um, do your best to get involved. Lastly, let me give you this. And I would, I would leave you with this as a reminder. No church is perfectly balanced or healthy. I have never yet seen a church that's just got every single cylinder functioning perfectly. And just about the time that you think you couldn't correct anything, a wheel will fall off. Trust me, uh, it, it happens. It's just the way we function. So expect it if you're the kind of person that's inclined to leave a church uh, angry soon over small things. Um, can I politely say shame on you? Uh, because as soon as you go to another church, you're gonna take probably the same problem to them. And it's only gonna be a matter of time. Now I realize there are some big issues, there are sometimes theological differences that make it hard for us to stay in a church. But by and large, uh, when a church is doing the best they can at focusing on Jesus, proclaiming the word, utilizing the gifts of the body, being leaders that are mutually submitted to one another, that's about as good as it gets. Uh, and I think God wants us to settle in and do what we can to make it healthy. I mean, just look at the table of contents of the New Testament. Seven of the letters of the 27 books of the church, of the New Testament, are written to churches that needed to be corrected in something. <laughs> that's why we have the Bible. I mean, rattle through those, the church, the Romans, the Corinthians, the Galatians, the Ephesians, the Philippians, the Colossians, the Thessalonians. Add to those six more churches in the book of Revelation, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, Laodicea. Those are all churches that God was admonishing to make something better that was broken. That's what church does. It gets broken. And part of the miracle is how God fixes that. I was thinking through the list of churches. You know, you heard that we have some 220 congregations. I want to rattle off the names of some of our currently uh, most influential and I would say healthiest churches right now that are doing some profound things for the kingdom. Uh, every one of these churches I'm going to name have gone through seasons under my leadership of incredible darkness and difficulty. Every one of these churches have a story that took a year out of my life or six months out of somebody else's life. I had heart surgery because of the stress of one of these churches, and I don't hold that against them. It's just, this is what we do. But let me, let me list this list to you. Our, our big church in Fullerton, California, Indian Wells, La Quinta, Prescott, Bullhead City, Mesa, Red Mountain, Mesa Vista Mesa, I mean, Mountain Vista Church in Mesa, Hope Church in Albuquerque, Grace Church in Arroyo Grande, Las Cruces, Placentia Calvary, Fresno, Turlock, San Jose, Redlands, Trinity, and I'm sure I'm forgetting some. Every one of those churches represent to me six months to a year of incredible pain that we worked through with them and other churches and brought them through that, and there will be more. Pray for the guy that's gonna follow me. We don't know who he is yet. 
Um, that's what church does. So I just wanna leave you with this comment. Your church is never gonna be perfect. When things go off center, bear with it, ask for some help, and I wanna pull up that logo one more time. Um, you're gonna hate me for doing this to you, but every time you see a FedEx truck now, or a FedEx envelope, I want you to remember what I'm telling you. Don't stereotype the church. Don't forget that there's things about the church that you don't know, or that you don't understand yet, or that you have yet to discover. There's some hidden thing in the center of that logo. Jesus is described as the logo of God, by the way. He is the logos, which is the word of God incarnate. So uh, I'm gonna close in prayer, and, and just in the outside chance that there is somebody here this morning that stumbled in here, Man, I'm praying that something I said would be the, 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 the thing that tips you to say, um, this, is, this is the kind of place I need to be. If not here, a place like this. A and that I need to become one of those members of the human race who have said, Jesus Christ, I can't do this. And I acknowledge that you've done it for me. Would you listen as I pray? And if it's your heart resonating with me, pray it with me. Lord Jesus, thank you for the church. Uh, this gift that you gave mankind, the human race, uh, to gather together in local places, to acknowledge you as Lord, to study your word, to worship you. Lord, I pray that uh, if there's anybody in this room that for the first time this is kind of making sense, that this is ultimately what it's all about. Lord, give them the courage at this moment to say, Lord Jesus, I acknowledge that I need you I acknowledge that I have tried to do it on my own, and I hereby yield myself to you to accept from you the free offer of salvation through what you died to accomplish. And Lord, I commit myself to some kind of a gathering, some place, if not compass, then somewhere else where I can commit to other people who are on the same journey of trusting you through this life. Lord, we commit to be all that you want us to be in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. It's a great privilege to be with you all. Thank you. Thanks for joining us today. Why not ask God to change your life so you can go and change your world for Him? To find out more about our church online, go to www.compasschurch.info and we'll see you next time.